With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Number 10, Ange Jabeur. Number 9, Caroline Garcia. Number 8, Maria Sakkari. Number 7, Marketa Vondrusheva. Number 6, Elena Svitolina. Number 5, Jessica Pagula. Number 4, Coco Goff. Number 3, Arena Sabalenka. Number 2, Elena Rabakina. And number 1, Igor Sviantek. If it looks like I haven't slept for about 10 days, it's because I haven't slept for about 10 days. But good news is it'll be all over in about six days from now. And um, there'll be some European indoor tournaments to consider and then a sort of mini American swing as well. Um, anyway, that is for February. Let's stick to the 22nd of January, uh, where it is both in Europe Latin America, or, and Latin America, and more importantly, Australia, where there's obviously been day 10, I think it was today, um, at the Australian, or was it day, day 9? I think it's day 9, actually. Sunday plus 7 days plus Monday, day 9. Yeah. Uh, fourth round day, or the final day of the fourth round. And uh, I've got in the headline, her catch, Medvedev win sets up quarterfinal clash. It's because I wrote that about six hours ago. Um, there has probably been other things going on, perhaps of more importance and even drama uh but let's uh work our way back as often as the case and let's begin with a match i didn't see uh which is zheng dodin uh i did watch plenty of tennis but this is actually a match that i i didn't catch up on because i was doing other things um so what happened damien <laughs> Yeah, I mean that was always the risk. This is a bit like Alicia Parks style of tennis that then brings up brings to the court. But honestly, um, first and foremost, like she actually wasn't getting the first strike in that much. Zhang was dominating a lot of the rallies. Dodem is like such an aggressive player um, off the ground. She basically and also she has a pretty decent serve as well. But like off the ground, she just blasts the ball, whatever wing, whatever position on the court. And here she actually wasn't that dominant over Zheng. I wasn't. I was expecting this to be a little more scrappy for Kinven, but um, I was just looking at some stats for her when the match was wrapping up. And like, you know, since Cincinnati, Zheng has only lost five matches, and they were to Iga Świątek twice, Sabalenka, Rybakina, and Hadatmaya. 
and she's basically eliminated all the possible poor losses and that's what allowed that's what's allowed her to make back-to-back slam quarterfinals as well it doesn't mean that it wasn't easy uh, like it doesn't mean that it was easy along the way uh, there was this one here in the third round against Yafan Wong, of course, and also the uh, at the U.S. Open. I think the third round as well was crucial against Lucia Bronzetti. But she's winning all of that now. Like she's twenty and five since Cincinnati. If we want to count the Asian games, which I would want to count, I mean, I know some of these matches weren't necessarily at the level of, let's say, her usual opponents. But still, she played Lin Zhu and Alex Eala there, for example. So I, I, I still want to count Asian games. So twenty-five and five along with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really so impressive. I think this is really the the breakthrough, right? This is this is where we see her talent sort of blowing up the last few months, and um, now she gets an opportunity that's much better than it was at the U.S. Open, because at the U.S. Open she had to, of course, play. Um, at the U.S. Open she had to play against um, Arena Sabalenka in the quarterfinals. Now she gets to play Kalinskaya potentially in the semis, Yastremska or Noshkova. This is really an opportunity as good as she's gotten so far. I don't know if she takes it because all of these players are playing well. I mean, all of these players got to the quarterfinals and are actually in form. They've had some ridiculous performances along the way, but Zhang is like the most established of them all, if that makes sense. Like probably Astremska has had more time at the top uh, before, you know, back in the day. Although actually by this point, actually Zhang has been with us like for like two years, let's say at the very top of the sport. So actually Kinvan might be even in that category, sort of outranking her, if you may. So this is really her sort of final to lose. I don't know if she's going to do it, uh, but today it was a performance that sort of tells you she's not going to be as nervy as in round three every single round, which is good for her uh, because it, it felt to me like she's putting a lot of pressure on herself with all these, you know, Nali talks and and etc. Sort of thinking already about the 2014 uh, title and maybe potentially doing it herself. But today she was much less, much less tight. So um, that's that's good for her as well. She's also maybe saving this pole to some extent, uh, which is uh, pretty much dead on its feet. Um, and, and we'll soon find out, for those of you that don't know, the results from the last 24 hours or so in Melbourne. Um, yeah, of course, the good news is that that some of those big players that she's lost to uh, are no longer in Melbourne and could have potentially uh, been in her way at the semi-final stage, whether it be Rebecca um, or was she going to meet Rebakana at the semis, or was she going to meet Rebakana potentially even before that? Uh, but certainly Sviontek was a potential semi-final opponent. Um, yeah, I think it was a quarter. Yeah, a quarter with Rubakina potentially. Which would have been a hell of a... Sviontek semi, of, yeah. yeah. And then obviously... Forefront Pagula was her, was her like first opponent seeded higher than her. Let's, let's call so it things like. have gradually opened up, but it is obviously a crazily open sector to the draw. Uh, Jose Morgado tweeted this, although I think I should say Jose Morgado in, in Portuguese. Um, tweet this is this is before Zheng's win over Dodin and uh Kalin Skies over Paulini, which will also come to shortly. Um, but yes, we've got a quarterfinal with Yastanemsko and Noskova. We'll talk about their matches as well, or or lack of matches in a way to some extent with Noskova. Um, but yeah, so now we've got uh Zheng against Kalin is is Zheng the favorite there? Zheng is going to be the favorite in every match until the final. Is it yeah. a guaranteed win? Of course not. But she is going to be the favorite in every match until the final, yeah. And it's going to be a new pressure for her because, okay, yeah. she's growing and we she's probably in one or two early rounds in 250s and 500s, she's obviously the favorite, but we're not really paying attention so much at that point. Um, it's that suddenly then when she's playing, you know, Igor Sviontek at the United Cup or Igor Sviontek in, in Paris where she obviously had some success uh, in terms of at least winning a set and, and, and making a mark a couple of years ago. But now we are watching and now we are maybe expecting. So it'll be interesting to see how she deals with it. But then today she did. By the way, regarding that result today, I mean, was Dodin spraying the ball around quite a bit, going for it a bit too much and not quite landing the punches that she told? I mean, it's her style, you know. There's, there's not much that she can really do about it i mean that's how she plays every single match if if it's not working out in the day especially the opener there were some absolutely wild misses i think in the end also she only had like three or four winners the entire day which for the demo is just so rare because yeah her style is basically all about 
being the dominant player and getting all of these un- winners, but also unforced errors, of course, at the same time, because you cannot avoid it. But yeah, in the end, she only had like a few winners. So it was um, it was definitely a pretty poor showing from her as well. This could be the Australian Open final on the screen here. Um, could be. Could be, yeah. Because I know you, you fancy uh, Kvaitchikova's chances <laughs> pretty highly. Uh, of course, Kvaitchikova will be playing later today. She wasn't in action. Don't, don't listen to him, guys. Don't listen to him. <laughs> it's a little bit of a back joke from, from a few hours ago with uh, Vanch bigging up Kvaitchikova just because he happened to see her uh, win the title in <laughs> San, San Diego. But that's enough. The best the shade is when the person who we are shading isn't here. That that's the best shade. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're doing it behind his back, but it's 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 soon there for him if he really wants to find it. And of course, you can find it on YouTube, uh, Twitch, and all these other places where we're live right now. But also on the podcast. Uh, so for those, for those of you that tune in as often as you can to this particular show, it is something that also goes out on a podcast. So if you ever miss it live and you want to get it as soon as possible, most of the time. I upload it to iTunes and those of other places, Spotify, et cetera, as soon as I possibly can after the show finishes. And that's when it does well. Of course, there are other occasions when I fall asleep and I don't upload it for another six hours. Or I think during Wimbledon last year, because there was actually an episode you were recording and I fell asleep during the recording of it. I didn't upload it until like lunchtime the next day, by which time it was very close to being out of date. Anyway, tangent uh, and confused audience uh, now uh, in tune. Let's get to um, let's go to Zheng's opponent then in the next round, which is going to not be Jasmine Paolini. It is going to be Kalin Skaya. Both you and I um, occasionally we agree, often we don't. But this is an occasion where we did agree regarding uh, that this Kalin Skaya Paolini match because both of us. I think I went Kalin Skaya in three sets. But I was I was fairly confident that Kalinskaya would emerge the winner. I found it easier to predict this match than some of the other women's matches, if not all of the women's matches today. Um, just because I felt Pauline had a limit. I think Kalinskaya's form has been good, including a win over the woman on the screen on the left-hand side right now, the unbeatable Barbora Krajcikova, who's on a two-week unbeaten streak at the moment. Uh, and that means three matches. Um uh, after Kalinskaya beat her in Adelaide. I think that's the last time Barbora lost. And so I, I saw a few things from her, Kalinskaya in that tournament in Adelaide that gave me some confidence, and then a bit more during the Australian Open. And, uh, yeah, it was straight sets in the end, possibly even easier than I'd imagined. Uh, thoughts on this particular encounter? Yeah, I mean, such an underrated ball striker, many health issues along the way, but since the last two or three months, yeah, she's been amazing. She was one of the main uh, <clears throat> sort of stars of the October-November WTA 125s. Uh, the title in Midland, I think she beat Parks in the semis, for example. So a pretty decent field. And also the, the final in Tampico, where she lost to Mina Bektas. But then this year, she, of course, starts playing major events right away. And she gets only loses to Kasatkina and Azarenka in the first couple of weeks. So I think it was pretty clear that Kalinskaya was going to be a threat here. Uh, she was actually due for a rematch against Kasatkina in the third round again, but Kasatkina ended up losing to Sloane Stevens. I thought that was a really uh, just absurd performance from Kaniskaya, the way she lost the opening set and then just started hitting bigger, more aggressive, but at the same time, like cutting down on the errors almost completely. I think she made like five or six unforced errors in the last two sets, despite basically being the dominant player in every single rally against Sloane. And um, yeah, that was that was just so incredible. I barely watched her match today against Paulini, but as you mentioned, like that was the one that I felt very confident about, which might actually feel, seem sound a bit stupid given how quickly Zheng dispatched Dodeon. But yeah, Dodeon is just such a such an imposing player that you never really know. Maybe she has a ridiculous day at the office. But Kalinskaya, yeah, it was really the, the one match where it felt like her upside is just so much better than Paulini's, despite Jasmine's amazing form of light and like the high ranking that she managed to achieve. Uh, so I'm, I'm very happy to see this. I think uh, we were sort of expecting a Zheng Raducanu in round three, which would have been a bit of a perfect display of the type of ball striking that I enjoy, especially on the WTA side. Instead, I think Zheng Kalinskaya is a very good sort of second place for that. Uh, it, it's just that Kalinskaya, like for ages, she hadn't really done all that much until October. And um, 
I sort of forgot about how much I enjoy her game. So uh, this is a quarterfinal I'm really looking forward to. It's not a given at all that Zheng is, is going to win, but she definitely is a slight favorite. However, yeah, both just absolutely... Well, I would say Kalinskaya is peaking out of her mind at the moment. Zheng is just sort of... has improved to this standard, it seems. A uh, quick uh, question and, and point, uh, semi-related. It's certainly regarding the women anyway and the Australian Open, which which helps uh, from Matthew. And it's regarding Kostyuk and Coco's match coming up later on today. Uh, all four quarterfinals uh, singles matches will be on the channel um, uh, in the coming hours ahead. So, and I think Coco Goff against Kostyuk, which is what his question is related to, is the first one up. So uh, make sure you tune in for that. And it's regarding the head-to-head. -head, it's just 1-0 in Goff's favour. Um, and they met uh, in their previous encounter in Adelaide, so at least it was the same country. And it was a close one, three sets. Um, thanks to Google for that, uh, plus the invention of copy and paste, which helped me provide the answer pretty quickly. Um, but anyway, I won't dwell on that too much right now because I, I, I want to stick yeah. with sort of the matches that took place. Um, on the other sort of um, part, other quarter of the, the draw, we had uh, Jastremska beating um, uh, Azarenka. And this is a match that I am probably maybe even more familiar with than you are, Damien. I, I, yeah. I, I'm not sure at what point you, you, you woke up. Uh, from deepest, darkest Poland and those deep, dark dreams that you have in, in deep, dark Poland. Uh, I was in uh, bright and breezy Brazil. How about that? That's uh, just off the cuff, that was. Bright and breezy Brazil. Some nice alliteration there. But deepest, uh, bit, darkest was... Poland doesn't work because it's no PPP. I know. DDP, yeah. Deepest, darkest Poland. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. We will worry about that some other day. Deepest, darkest. Can you move to Denmark? That might help. Um Whatever. Uh, so, listen, I, I will come to your opinion first, and then I'll have plenty to say, uh, I'm sure, in response. Uh, can you sort of react? Some people might be surprised by the result. Straight sets, but just in general, the fact that um, Jastremska won the match. Did it surprise you, that result? Not really. I mean, Diana has is a weird story. Like, after all these injuries and also the... Um, doping suspension that she had. Of course, she was eventually cleared and uh, her provisional suspension was lifted like immediately. But she never really returned to her previous standard. And I was kind of surprised by that always, especially last year, I was able to watch her live in uh, Kozerki at the WTA 125, which she won. So of course she did well there. She beat uh, Zeynep Sonmez in the semis and Hriat uh, Minen in the final, really good final where she was just like dominated in the first set and then just how heavy and how hard she hits on every single stroke really limited Minen's ability to attack. And I remember just thinking that, well, she was 21 in the world a few years ago. Like, what what has changed? Like, what, what's really different about her? Where has that quality gone? And in fact, uh, it never really felt like it was gone, but she struggled to sort of just break through even through that, even return to the top 100, right? Then, of course, in the qualifying this, this week, she actually lost a set in every single match. And suddenly she's so clean in the main draw. But as I said, I don't think she's a worse player than when she was in, you know, 21st in the world. It's really just getting a, some confidence back and just getting on a bit of a hotter run. And then, you know, you throw her into like the full year on the main tour and she probably holds up okay. I don't know if 21st in the world, maybe that's a bit much. But like, um, yeah, she probably still is winning matches, winning, getting to some later rounds. So was I surprised by the, this particular result? I thought that this is maybe even a worse matchup for Azarenka than Ostapenko right now, because, of course, against Ostapenko, she was, again, like, surf-botting. Here, uh, probably you see more of, like, the Azarenka's declining movement shine. I didn't see too much of this match. I know that you said that the serving was not as good as against uh, Ostapenko for Vika, so... That would also make sense. But um, yeah, I think with, with players like Estremska and also with the sort of very even quality right now in the top half, there kind of aren't any shocks anymore on the table. Like if Estremska makes the final, no one no one should really bat an eye because this is literally how close the top half right now is. And as I, I think a couple of days ago in one of these shows said, like I'm literally just watching the top half now without any expectations whatsoever for the matches. Like it's just really popcorn stuff it's it's really good actually despite not having like the high quality names and uh, high quality the you know the sort of um, names that casual viewers will recognize but i think that uh, all of these matches all of these matchups that we are sort of in uh, more uh, sort of um we still have in store are going to be 
quite exciting. Maybe the final would be that, you know, if if it's like Sabalenka on the other side of the net and someone from the top half comes in and can't compete, that's possible. But up until the final, I'm pretty sure everything we should get from here is it should be pretty excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of exciting matches still to come. Um, yeah, my uh, takes on on this. Uh, the PC360 in the live chat, is that is that Peter? I think it is Peter, uh, although it might be Nick. They, they both have uh, very familiar, um, uh, to me, uh, uh, titles in the, in the live chat. But anyway, so I think it's Peter, and, and great to have you on board today. Make sure you hit the like button and everyone else here. Uh, okay, so um, what, what was the story of this match? Well, Azarenka's serving... First serve percentage uh, in terms of points won at the end of the first set, which went to a tie break, and I think it was 8-6 to Yastremsku in that tie break, uh, was 29% uh, of points won. Hi, Peter, yeah. Um, and yet it was something like 60 on second serve. Yesterday, uh, yeah, she was just loving eating up for breakfast, as I think I described it earlier. The first serve, giving her the pace that she really enjoyed, she was going for it. And even on even the points that she did lose was often close. Like, I remember her hitting one return. I'm going, my goodness me, I think that's the best return I've seen all week. Uh, and then suddenly it was actually a, a couple of centimeters out. So that was one of the ones that, that she actually didn't uh, win. But she was making an incredible impression on the Azarenka serve. And in fact, to such an extent, that when it went to the tie break, she got a set point, her first set point, having already faced, I think, two or three on the Azarenka serve. And I was, sorry, uh, in the tie break, but also when Azarenka was trying to serve it out, because she tried to serve it out twice. Uh, keep up at the back, everyone. Um, but I said uh, in the commentary, I think, to Jethro, I said, actually, I think Diana is looking forward to having a, a set point not on her serve, but actually on the Azarenka serve, because she'd also lost one on her own serve. And as soon as she got one on the Azarenka serve, that was it. She was either hitting a winner or just getting so far up in the rally as a result of the return of serve that it was just, you know, Azarenka never, never felt comfortable. Until maybe there was a period at the beginning of the second set when I thought to myself, Azarenka goes off court, so does Yastremska. Both for what probably would be a necessary change of clothing, of course, in in Melbourne summer. And I thought, okay, listen, if if Azarenka can get a couple of holds in, that might be enough for her to get back in the match and then go on to win it. She does exactly that. In fact, not even better than that, she also breaks and goes three love. So you're thinking, okay, not the set is done, but two holds feel feel almost like two breaks at that point. In a way, the fact that neither player was holding on to their serve. But then Yastrzemska just dials in again. And in fact, those three games, which included two holds, uh, Azarenka had reversed that incredibly bad trend on the first serve. She was actually 100% across those first two games of points one on the first serve. But she couldn't keep up the momentum. And, and Diana came back and won the next five games. And that was pretty much it. Um, but one final thing that I loved about this match, which I wanted to touch on earlier, because it may have been my favourite one of the day, you could talk about the the Nori Zverev match in a different way, but this one uh, was probably a little bit more of a, a, a higher quality um, in terms of painting the lines in particular. Um, was that it as it was still uncertain the result, even at five four yesterday. Serving four, I thought. I think Azarenka got a hold in at five three or three five, and I thought, okay, she stemmed the flow over to you, Diana. Can you serve this out? And she did, I think, to 15. Um, and yeah, that was the story of the match. And whether she can keep this up, whether she can keep striking the ball this well, whether she'll get quite as many opportunities on the first serves of of, of her upcoming opponents, I don't know. But um, yeah, deserve to be in the quarterfinals. I don't know if you want to react to anything I've just said or we can just move on. You can just move on, I think. Yeah, fair enough. So... Who is Yastremska playing in the uh, final women's quarterfinal? Is it Svitolina or is it um, Noskova? I always need a few seconds sometimes to think. Um, it's Noskova. And if you're just joining and you don't know what's been going on, you're going, wow, Noskova knocking out Svitolina. A little bit of a surprise. Surprise to me. I did tip Svitolina to win this. But of course, there's a bit of a twist and a tail to this, and unfortunately it may even involve a slight twist of Svitolina's back because unfortunately a back injury, although I think it was a pulled muscle, where I think she mentioned in a press conference basically it just 
twinged or whatever the word is, tweaked uh, during the second game. And that was it. And she said she just, it just locked and she just couldn't move. She got some treatment at the end of the second game. She then was visibly unable to barely move during the third game. And at three love down, um, that's it. Noskova goes through. Who knows? Maybe Noskova would have won the match fully fit, especially if she produced reproduced the, the form she showed against Eager. But I guess from the Svitolina point of view, Damien, I mean, it's it's a, it's a real pity because draws don't always open up. Might be a slight exaggeration, but it was like, oh, hang on a second. Svitolina is maybe the favourite amongst all of these players. Maybe Azarenka, you could say, to get to that final. So it's... Yeah, and she might not get a better opportunity to make a Grand Slam final. You just don't know in tennis. Yeah, I don't know if it was Azarenka. I would probably say it's Svitolina, it was Svitolina or Zheng anyway. But it was close. It was close between all the players in the top half. I would say the draw definitely opened up. Um, so to a point where like Svitolina would already consider this a pretty good opportunity. But probably we weren't deep enough in the event that uh, this will be like, oh, this was my shot at the major. But um, yeah, of course, it's a shame for her to get that sort of injury. Uh, we sort of still have to like pass like the, the judgment on Noskova. We have to sort of postpone it until the quarterfinals in the sense that, of course, she's a super talented player. I don't know if she's actually, if this is the moment when she starts putting it together consistently because that's really the only thing she needs. You know, she's so up and down. Last year, she makes a WTA final in like Prague, and then she goes out to now Hibino in a horrible performance, even though on the way she was unbeatable. And then things like that happen to her all the time. Uh, she's still, uh, recently at least, she has still been a little far away from, let's say, putting in five good performances in a row. It has only really happened for her at the top level, of course, last year around Australia as well, where she made that Adelaide final, then lost in the opening round of the Australian Open Qualies to Kathleen Sebov. But um, yeah, we still have, sort of have to just wait and see if this is the moment when she actually produces week in, week out and is able to uh, compete. It's not like this isn't uh, like it's not like this is out of nowhere as well, right? Because just before the Australian Open, she also had a deep run uh, to the semifinals in one of the WTA 500s. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see what Noshkova can produce with this in the future. But of course, Vitorina, uh, that wasn't, you know, the match never really happened. Um... This is an interesting headline, I think, uh, because shot in the back, um, cruel, delicious, and chaos, uh, all in in the headline. Parks delicious Australian Open chaos. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use that word delicious. Yeah, the delicious uh, is weird because it's a it's cruel injury one. and it sparks exactly. a delicious thing. Exactly. It's like an, the injury gives you something delicious. That's a, that's a little weird. Yeah. But don't blame Tumani for this because 90, no, I think almost 100% of the time the headline is often written uh, by an editor as opposed to uh, the author. Um, maybe it's Tumani, in which case I'll, I'll, uh, we can cope for him. But um, I think uh, he might be in a position to write his own headlines. No, I no, but it's not about seniority. I mean, he's obviously a senior writer, but, but I know how this process works but the guardian too because i've, I've seen journalists defend themselves on twitter by going don't shoot me because i i didn't write the headline you know um he might have done uh but uh just saying that uh it, i i can't believe it he would write that i think some intern has, has uh, written that or some some spider's gone across the keyboard and miraculously written a, a cohesive word in the word delicious but yeah, but anyway, uh, you get the Maybe idea. Disastrous anyway. was the word, and then autocorrect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I shot in the back. Um, that's that's fine. Venus Vitlina's cruel injury sparks Australian Open chaos. That you don't, you can even make it even shorter, yeah. which is better because you get for the uh, SEO purposes, you get Australian Open a bit closer to the beginning in that key sixty odd letter uh, character count. But anyway, uh, let's not bore the people with that, and and let's get back to the tennis. Yeah, big big shame, and um, thirty years old, I think she is. Hey, listen, she's pretty good across the three surfaces. You know, she continues the form that she's shown uh, in the last nine months or so. You know, she should be going deep at, at slams again. But it, oh, the problem 29, is she, so I guess you're not that far uh, 29. off. I was but, thinking I mean, she, 28 or 29. The problem is, is going deep. And then, you know, you've got um, Eager in your way or Elena or Arena or you know, maybe even Kinwen Jeng is now going to become a thing. Or, of course, Barbora Karachikova, of course, the one that you all want to avoid at, at all stages of, of the tournament. Um, by the way, this is really uh, funny because, of course, I'm I'm using this in an ironic way. It's only, a, it's only a year ago when I had her in the Australian Open final. 
And I was pretty big on her for probably the next three or four months because despite her having an underwhelming Australian Open, she then goes and beats Eagle on the way to winning Dubai. Australia so that, wasn't that underwhelming. I, mean, I thought it was fourth round, third round. Yeah, and she lost to Pagula, who was like truly peaking. I agree, but when you've got her in the final, you've got her beating Pagula and several yeah, other Yeah, but like it wasn't, it was a very okay campaign, like probably even positive rather than meet that other than not to commit my uh, final not not for you but uh, we, you already said that she's your girlfriend so <laughs> yeah well i don't know i mean i've got some competition now in vanch so ah that's true that's true yeah, yeah. i mean just because he saw her win a match or two in san diego in fact several matches because she won the title anyway um yep unfortunate for svitolina and uh on we go in the Semi-finals are now set. Uh, sorry, quarterfinals now are, of course, completely set um, for both tomorrow and the next day. I'm hoping to just bring them up. Uh, yeah, here we go, just as a final thing on this. And I think they are all interesting. Is Which one is the least interesting? Is it Kostyuk Goff? Or, or Kretikova Sabalenka. One of them, yeah. I'm not yeah. sure. So you, you just don't see a Kostyuk Krejcik, sorry, Kostyuk or Krejcik are making it super competitive and maybe even winning. I'm more open to the idea of Kostyuk making it more competitive, mostly because she could make it competitive on her own merit. Whereas I feel like for Krejcik or Sabalenka to be competitive, something has to like go wrong for Arena. And the, the only win that Krejcikova has against her was, of course, a comeback from... I don't even remember, but she definitely lost the opening sets, love six, and then the second was also she was in a rough spot. Yeah, that that's why I want to say that Kostyuk Goff is the more competitive match to me because Marta Kostyuk plays on her peak stuff there, and we might have a very good clash. Whereas Krejcikova, mm, I don't know if I buy it right now. Yeah, uh, Kostyuk's win over Avanesian, which I'm not sure if it was the last round or the round before, was uh, something I always felt was on on Marta's racket, which was, um, uh, but that's maybe often the case against Avanesian. But there we go. Uh... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Um... Okay, cool. Let's move over to uh, the men. And let's begin with the, the final male match of the day. I think it was uh, involving Carlos Alcaraz and Mir Mir Ketsmanovic. We actually had a question a little bit while ago, which I more or less addressed. But for someone who wasn't all over this match, because I was uh, focusing on uh, Nori against Zvedev at the same time, there was a question here from Marcus. Carlos versus Misha. Was Misha injured, especially in the third set? Someone let me know. Uh, I don't think there was any injury, was there? Not really. Like if you if you are going to tell me that there was some slightly lesser intensity because of his two five setters beforehand, oh, yeah. yeah, probably, probably. Um, I don't think we saw like a super clear example of that, but still, I I would assume so. And especially later on, I think uh, it was just very easy for Alcaraz to dominate. But even in the first set, when Kaczmanowicz was maybe stepping into the court a little bit, taking more initiative. The athleticism of Alcaraz was just insane in getting all of these balls back. And Alcaraz just had a very good, like, free-flowing aggression performance. He was so loose from the get-go, going for ridiculous shots, making 90% of them. Uh, it was really one of the, the best performances from him recently, best performances of his recently. And no breakpoints uh, faced, I think, the entire match as well, unless there was one in the last game, which was got a little competitive, but I don't think so. And yeah, it was it was really uh, quite ridiculous from from start to finish from Alcaraz. So I think Kaczmanowicz never really got a chance. Maybe it would have been more competitive if he wasn't coming off these two five set clashes. But it's still not not a great matchup for Miomir. I know about the Miami match, of course, 2022. It doesn't seem like he was able to uh, like that peak Kaczmanowicz from that early spring 2022. It didn't really make an appearance here. However, um, of course, recently he's also been like playing above his usual quality, usual standards. So um, I, I thought that maybe he can keep it at least a bit tight. Uh, so probably a bit lower on the intensity on the gas tank, but no like visible, no apparent injury. No. 
So Esteril and Davis Cup is not his usual standard? No, definitely not. These were literally the two best defense of his last year. It's the last time we'll be doing that joke then for a while because I've been doing it for a fair bit over the last 24 hours, but I think that's done now. Uh, I actually didn't think about the the number one being up for grabs, which maybe I should have done because Alcaraz obviously didn't play Australia. Me neither after. because I don't care about it, I suppose. <laughs> you know, I mean... All of these players have been number one, you know, so it's not... Yeah. Yeah, and it's not like someone's going to be overtaking Novak's record of weeks there. But anyway, some yeah. scenarios here on the screen. Um, but for those of you listening as a podcast, I'll read them out. Carlos Alcaraz will be number one if he goes one match further than Djokovic at the event or beats Novak in the final. Uh, Medvedev, will be num- Medvedev will be number one if he wins the tournament he won't and both be. Alcaraz and Djokovic losing the quarterfinals. Oh, of course, good news today for Stefanos Tsitsipas. Cam Norris is not going to be winning the event and therefore <laughs> outing him from the top 10. And we'll come to Cam's uh, result against um, Zverev uh, shortly or his match against Zverev. You obviously know the result now. Uh, Djokovic is number one uh, if all losing the quarterfinals or if none of the above scenarios occur. Hopefully you keep up at the back. Um, but yeah, basically um, uh, most uh sort of really the main thing is this is kind of redundant by the way because all lose in the quarterfinals like that also is included in the because the scenarios above also wouldn't be uh wouldn't happen then if all lose in the quarterfinals so that all lose in the quarterfinals is actually redundant but of course it doesn't really matter it's just the purist in me (laughs) Um, uh, Brenda Johnson suggesting a big difference between Carlos 22 and Carlos 24. Yeah, I think there's a, I, I mean, uh, more significant is the difference between 22 and 23. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to see a bit more of 2024. I, my only concern is that 2024, latter stages of 2023. But yeah, I mean, Carlos himself said, said in, in sort of the spring and the summer last year that there'd been big steps forward. It may have been a bit of regression uh in that cincinnati final in terms just as, a, as an, an isolated thing that he sort of slipped back into some sort of lack of concentration ways which we did see a little bit against maybe city pass in paris um yeah so that's something that i'm sure he's going to be keen to to keep at bay but um yeah anyway number one is on the line uh potentially if he can go further than novak uh or beat him in the final um Okay, you told me the forehand was looking fine today and you don't think it's as big an issue as some people are making out. I don't see an issue with the shot whatsoever on the offense. Defensively, sure. Um, he is like a little... Um, can't truly use that speed, that athleticism when he's just getting pushed like super hard and flat into the forehand. I think he's got ways to go there. But I don't see what sort of issue people would have with this on the attack. I mean, it's still one of the best shots in the game. Fair enough. Um, Alcaraz in the quarterfinal is going to be playing Alexander Sverev because um, because Sverev beat Kamnoi in five sets today. Um, hmm, what to say about this match? I joined it, I think, around about the third set. Uh, you joined it, I know, in the fifth, um, as you touched upon as well, some of the stats telling us particularly in the fifth set where Cam was really trying to up the ante. Could have gone either way, but then the tie break, Cam just fell apart. Yeah, pretty much. A few maybe minor missed chances on the way to the fifth set tie break, but nothing crazy. It wasn't like match point close or anything, maybe just a 15-30 that he could have gotten instead of a 13-30-15. But yeah, um, it was the same Nori from the Rude matchup, almost overcoming another tough opponent, another tough rivalry dynamic for him with just being a little more, con- playing with a little more conviction, just attacking a bit more, just a more um, sort of free mindset and just, yeah, swinging at it. Definitely more than Zverev, who was tentative as hell in the fifth set. And as usual, on the forehand side, he tends to push, you know, until he basically cannot really uh, win any other way. But, well, anyway, uh, it was a bit bit of a physical slog. Nori won a lot of good points in the fifth set with drop shots. So it's not that surprising that the tiebreak, he tries to do that again, but he, like, overplays it a touch at the very beginning. And then a double fold for 2-6, and the set is kind of gone. And it wasn't even Zverev getting all these three points on serve in the tiebreak because he wasn't. Like, it wasn't one of these tiebreaks. So, yes, Zverev survives another 10-point 10, um, 10 tiebreak, second of the event. 
And I have to say that like by this by this moment, like by the time we got here, he was kind of BSing his way through some of the rounds, definitely. Mm. Now this is the time where he will actually need to like step up and um start hitting through his weaker shot or like actually his shot that he's least confident in. Weaker still than his backhand, but like it's not really that big a gap as he makes it out to be sometimes. So um yeah. I mean, he's not going to escape against the Salcaras if he's going to play like against Nori today. If he's going to be as scared, he's not going to make it. But I think actually, in a way, it's almost a free hit for Sasha. And that's why he might be uh, feeling it differently. Yeah, that's why he might just just enter the match with a very different uh, mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Like it is possible. Like right now, he's done what he was expected to. So the first four rounds which is literally where it, after the draw, you just land him there. After the United Cup, you feel like, okay, so he usually loses some matches or some sets left and right at the beginning of the event, but he's likely making the quarters. After that, everything else is a bit of a bonus. And definitely with his top 10 records at slams, he's still so far away from winning this whole thing. I mean, beating Alcaraz, then Medvedev or Hurkacz, and then Djokovic or Sinner, that's really something that Zverev has never shown us at the grand slam stages so uh he really needs to go all out and if he does who knows maybe actually an opportunity can pop up at least to win one match or or maybe even more but i, I yeah i don't know if i trust he'll do it yeah i don't um i don't uh envisage any sort of scenario where svedev wins this tournament this can be uh trimmed up and and put on the internet if he does uh, win the tournament in a few days from now. But I can see a one-off occasion where he does beat um, uh, Alcaraz, despite him struggling and coming through these five-set matches. And uh, physically, he seems fine. He wasn't struggling. Neither player was struggling, really, in the fifth set. Yeah. It was a fairly swiftish five-set. It was less than four hours anyway, I'm pretty sure, about that. And the fifth set tiebreak... It actually is... went over four in the fifth set oh, tiebreak. Okay. Or just before um, the fifth set tiebreak, yeah. As Peter says in the, in, the, in the live chat, though, it was it was Cam Noy. I think he might have got to 2-1 or 2-2 or something and then just didn't win another point thereafter. Um, and or it might have got 10-3, but it was... It was just demoralizing for Cam. The double fault for two six was it was over. Like he was yeah. two five down, he had two serves and he double faults and like two six it felt over and it kind of was. And he'd hit one double fault in the entire match, which is incredible, I think, for almost five sets. But yeah, five sets plus because it was a deciding set tiebreak. And then he goes and hits one during the tiebreak. And I, I must I know it's clever in hindsight, but I saw him going for that second serve and I just looked at his face and it did sort of look sort of drained, uh, is the best way I could describe it. And uh, he then hits the double fault. But it wasn't just that point. There were others where it was like, mm, yeah, he's hitting the ball a bit short here. Svedev punished him with a backhand down the line. I think Alexander started to feed off that anxiety on the side of the net as well. Uh, a couple of unforced errors as well. And yeah, just unfortunately for Cam that um, that he'd possibly been the better player for, for certainly that fifth set. And yet, um, yeah, unfortunately, he, he'll, he'll regret some of what happened in that tie break okay um nice little stat there regarding the fewest unforced errors on the men's side it doesn't uh, make sense because alcaraz beats shang 6-1-6-1-1-0 retirement it was a yeah, very short match so yeah if if you want to do it like in any reasonable way it would have to be unforced errors per game or even per point because yeah, per true. game uh, per game also doesn't give you everything because of course games can last from four points to 25 and um you actually, well, 25 actually is impossible, I guess, <laughs> now that I think of it, but 26 or 24. But um, I mean, imagine if, yeah. uh, let's just imagine a world which probably doesn't exist anywhere in, in all paradigms, but if Sverev had hit, so I think he's on 83, isn't he, um, uh, um, Alcaraz? Imagine that uh, Sverev hit it 87. Sverev's would be infinitely better uh, than, than Alcaraz's 83, going in the, mind, the number of sets and, and games that, yeah, uh, Sverev would have had to have come through. And again, same with this one, really. Uh, Sabalenka be... and Goff, I mean, they're the only players who have been battling through their first few rounds without lo without losing many sets games. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, this, this exactly. doesn't really tell you all that much. No, they're just playing pretty well. And we already know that because they're in the quarterfinals. Um, okay, so that is one uh, uh, 
pair of matches on the men's side. What else did we have? Oh, your compatriot, who'll be her catch. Uh, somebody, hmm, who was that? Predicted uh, her catch to win in straight sets. Oh, hello. It was me. And uh, 7676, of course, a couple of tie breaks followed by, was it 6 4 in the third? Or 6 3. One of these, anyway. One break, anyway. Doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, I mean, Hurkacz in straights was a weird prediction to me. I still feel like it was weird. Uh, but indeed, uh, whenever it came to the crunch, Hurkacz was just getting it so much easier in the tie breaks when it comes to the three points on serve. He actually played a like phenomenal second set tiebreaker. I know he double faulted in it, but he still won 7-3 and like some of the forehands that he was hitting were actually, were actually quite monstrous. Uh, sometimes you, you, you can see the power, of course, on the Hurkacz forehand from time to time, but he sort of needs to be very wary, pick his spots, pick his battles. This time he was actually finding the opportunities all time, all the time. A couple of tough smashes as well, especially the one from the baseline after a long rally. And um, yeah, he kind of didn't give Kazo a chance in either of these tiebreaks, despite losing the two set points in the first set tiebreak. So actually he kind of did, but Kazo made a horrific unforced error at 6-all in the first set tiebreak. And that's really when it went wrong for him. Then he also had some issues at the beginning of the third. I'm not sure what they were physically, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, he did recover from that after a few games. He was very intense right like, like later, but um, yeah, he started running all over the court again. He started having that intensity and fighting for the for the break back, but he was never able to secure it. In general, he never really won too many points on the Hurkacz serve. I think it was like maybe 15 in the entire match. So um, it was kind of as easy for Hurkacz as a 7-6-7-6-6-4 match can get. Um, because, well, maybe the first set tiebreak, if it was if it was finished at that 7-4 point, then yes. But it did feel fairly routine, despite the scoreline being so close, and despite Kazo also not getting broken, well, only once in the first set. Actually, they, they, they broke each other, sorry, at the beginning of the first set, but it didn't matter because they were, it was like traded, and, uh, you know, that, that didn't make a big deal uh, of difference. But, uh, of course, uh, like, yeah, it was actually fairly routine for the scoreline that was there and for, like, how well they were playing in their own service games in general. And uh, I guess for Hurkacz, this is something that he exactly, exactly needed this year. Finally get to a Grand Slam, do a major quarterfinal on hard courts, finally get to another quarterfinal after Wimbledon 2021, is it? Yeah, 2021. And basically uh, just make it look routine, make it look comfortable, make it look easy. Because I think despite the five-setter against Menchik, where clearly in the fourth and fifth set, I mean, it was just clear that he was going to win because Menchik had nothing left he still made it look relatively safe all the way to the quarters. And maybe the draw opened up a touch. He didn't have to play Rune. But all in all, this was also a draw of uh, some very dangerous opposition, like Menchik, like Umber, like Kazo. Um, uh, they all serve great, so you know, they, they might be tough opponents for Hurkacz on a given day, given that, well, he plays so many tie breaks and, and uh, basically the matches are so serve-return-based. But... Um, all in all, uh, this is like precisely what he wanted. And he also gets a matchup that he was always relatively comfortable with compared to the, the class of the opponent. He's not the favorite, though, against Medvedev, is he? I treat it as a 50-50. Um, I haven't seen the odds, but Medvedev will be the favorite for the market for sure. Mm. Uh, but you treat it 50-50 because of history, History up. and uh, just in general, you know, Hurkacz has a pretty good top 10 record um, Any against any player with a serve like this, you can make a match close. And against any player, really, Hubert Hurkacz can make a match close, even if the player is worse than him and or if, it, if he's better than him. Like a big server against a fellow big server, although maybe more oriented in, um, you know, more baseline oriented, more counterpunching oriented. But then again, Hurkacz is also a pretty similar style, right? Uh, a big serve and then maybe more so defensively um, oriented off the ground, but of course he can maybe step it up a little bit more than than Daniel off the ground. Then again, of course, he's not that good at defender. But yeah, these uh, Hurkacz, Medvedev, Zverev type of guys, it, it's really close between them, I think. And at the same time, um, yeah, any match with a big server can be closer than it seems, right? Because it's just such a style that basically gives the opponent no rhythm. You're probably most of the time they are pretty weak on return, like Hurkacz is great on serve. I don't really see a big edge there for Medvedev, but I, I do understand that when it comes to the odds, when it comes to the betting market, Medvedev has to be a favorite. 
and according to uh, our viewers who have uh, voted at the moment, have Medvedev at 67% and uh, Herkatch at 33%. So do get voting there. Also, if you're watching retrospectively and not able to vote in that poll, let us know in the comments section below um, how you see that match panning out and anything else that we've been discussing today. And the reason he's playing, of course, Daniel Medvedev uh, is because Medvedev beat uh, Borges in four sets. Some might be surprised that he, he struggled a bit. Of course, he was serving for the match in the third set. Um, but didn't get over the line. Borges did really well uh, to win, I think, four games in a row, because I think it was something like 5-3 to, to then end up being 7-5. The drop shot became an issue for um, Medvedev, as it occasionally can be in the past. And funny enough, after the match, he mentioned how um, uh, people had been trying the drop shot on him in Miami, having seen what Alcaraz uh, had been doing to him in... Uh, Indian Wells and in fact in Miami he said he was on to it a lot more and, and he managed to use perhaps his speed to chase down some of those drop shots that he saw coming and of course in Miami he didn't play Alcaraz so that helps a little bit but perhaps the surface speed there is a little bit more favorable for for um, Medvedev than Indian Wells but anyway there we go um, yeah any thoughts on on that four set win for Medvedev not really I mean it was a brief sort of um know um yeah. detour from the original route let's call it that uh, but of course eventually didn't end up mattering at the end and nice for Nuno to take a set though this is of course his best ever run he's actually now 0 and 10 in round of 16 matches at two level still looking for his first quarter final but of course getting to a grand slam fourth round is like better than an ATP 250 quarter final so it's only really a meaningless stat at this point, I think. But, well, it's something to look at going forwards because it's a bit weird that he hasn't made that since. Even before this run, it was weird. But, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty... Uh, it's an amazing run for him, for sure. I'm excited to see how he does with this newfound confidence and how he takes it to the tour in the upcoming weeks. Uh, certainly, I feel like, yes, an event like Indian Wells, for example, which you just mentioned, this is something where uh, Borges could shine easily. Um, and when it comes to Medvedev, yeah, uh, he's had some patchy uh, moments along the way. The first set against Atmane, he completely blew it here, a little less. So um, I don't know what this really speaks about him going forward. I think to see him beat Alcaraz and then Djokovic or Sinner is a bit of um, fantasy for now. And um, Kukash is also not a throwaway. So You mean, yeah, yeah Medvedev now is going to have to go, yeah, go through. Um yeah. If he has to beat Alcaraz and then Djokovic or Sinner, uh I yeah, it kind of seems almost impossible to me at the moment. So I mean her catch, which okay, you're putting at 50-50, others might say 60-40, but wherever you land on that scale, and I'm probably slightly more towards 60-40 in in Medvedev's favor, it, it did the odds stack up, you know. Even if you had even if you had four 60-40s in your favor, that probably means you're gonna lose one of them because Eventually, yes. never never mind the fact that he's obviously not the favourite against uh, Alcaraz, if he plays Alcaraz, if he plays Fedev. And if he plays Fedev, of course, we'll all be very pumped for that one, won't we? Oh, no. I just <laughs> realised that this is a possibility. It is a possibility. Yeah. If one of them, who, who's, uh, we don't know who's playing next, who's playing first to... to no, this, although I saw uh, somebody in the chat and, and you should probably, be... I think, I think it's Matthew saying it will be first up in the night session. Should and, be, yeah. Should, it should it be Zverev Alcaraz in the night session and Medvedev uh, Hurkacz in the day session, right? Yeah. That, that's yeah, what that's what it will be for sure, uh, yeah. now that I think of it. So I guess if Medvedev beats Hurkacz, then we're all going to be rooting for Alcaraz, like hardcore rooting for Alcaraz, just not to get Medvedev Zverev again. Holy hell, what a, what a horrible matchup that is. There's a good uh, YouTube clip out there already, uh, which I saw happening live when uh, Jim Courier spoke to Medvedev after the match with Borges. And they just talked through and, and even took that part of the court to explain some of Medvedev's tactics and his return position. And, and that's where he highlighted this drop shot issue in against Alcaraz in Indian Wells and, and to, to much lesser extent in in Miami when facing other opponents. Um, but equally interesting are some of these comments from Nuno Borges afterwards, um, maybe just sort of adding to what we maybe already knew, but I, I still think it's interesting. Medvedev doesn't overpower you, the Portuguese said. Um, he doesn't hit winners every point, but he drains you, makes you feel desperate and play worse than usual, which even Novak Djokovic has kind of touched upon 
uh, in the past. Uh, tactical changes to face Medvedev on this particular issue. Uh, Borges says, I usually don't use the drop shot as much as today, but against Medvedev, that's a good idea. So I used the drop shots and went to the net much more than usual to push him further. And he did so to some success, which is, I think, what helped him win that fourth set. Otherwise, he sorry, that third set. Otherwise, he, he probably ends up with a straight set. Uh, lost very happy with his Ranis. Uh, he said he had a rough couple of weeks before coming here. Uh, and I'm in the second week, so uh, I'm not quite sure. Proud of myself and the way I, I work. If I'm good mentally and feeling well, I know I can do things. This is now my favorite slam. Thinks he's got to improve. Uh, I will not change to lefty or start playing seven volley, but I need to improve on every aspect, um, says Borges. Well, good tournament for him. Uh, at least, and maybe maybe he can have a nice little run in Esteril. Him and him and Ketsmanovic can can have finally a, a that final. first quarter final. Yeah, uh, Nuno had a big break for in Esteril two years ago, beating Thompson, losing to Chilich in a great match. Uh, didn't he win it in doubles though with Francisco Cabral? I left Esteril on the Saturday um, this this past year, just gone. Um, I mean, so. he, he's, he's pretty much uh, had that um, phenomenal pairing with Francisco Cabral and their like childhood friends. But of course, when Nuno became this good in uh, in in uh, singles already, then he kind of had to give up on the doubles. But in 2023, uh, um, they were able to. Sorry, 2022, they won Estoril in doubles. Yeah. Do hit the like button if you are with us right now, or even if you're watching later, and. Um... Yeah, make sure you subscribe if you haven't done so already. I don't think we're going to make 6,000 subscribers by the end of the Australian Open unless something very, very strange happens, and that's that uh, Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal, uh, Billie Jean King, and Pete Sampras will give me a call saying that they'd like to come on the channel uh, in the next few days. Uh, failing that, I don't think we're going to make 6K subs. Uh, but we'll never know. Uh, just so make sure you do hit, hit the subscribe button. Uh, Gene here is very, very big on Hubi's chances, um, saying even more so that uh, during the day will make uh, Hubi's serve even more lethal. Yeah. So he is all over lethal, uh, all over Hubi and therefore going for a car. Medvedev likes it faster too. So mm, it's not that obvious. Actually, if maybe if they were playing like um, middle through the night, then I would like Hurka's chances more. I don't know. It, it, it's not clear. It's not clear. And it comes Both to of them will be quite fresh. I know that... Um, uh, both have dropped sets on the way here, but the immediate match prior not being too taxing. And Medvedev said he was relieved that it didn't go to a fifth set. I know he had that super late night thing, but again, he kind of said that I'm over that now. It's a few days ago, so things are at least back in sync for him. Um, the mental aspect favors. Yes, that's true. That's true, right? Mental aspect favors Medvedev. Really? I mean, he's been pretty weird with that this australian open i don't know um but yeah kurkac of course has had some big wins that he couldn't produce because of that so and also the um the united cup against um her against mm -hmm. yeah i mentioned that earlier it was a match he should have won but um different pressures of course when you're playing individually as opposed to a nation sometimes better actually and easier sometimes not Okay, uh, we're coming up to the hour mark. Um, I think we're just about done. There's not a match we've missed. Uh, that would be dreadful No. Um, when there's so few happening now. Oh, uh, one more thing I did want to mention is that basically, I, I hope, this is not a promise, but I hope we are able to cover every single singles match for the rest of the tournament. And of course, that begins um, in a few hours time uh, with Coco Goff against Marta Kostyuk. So uh, do join us for all of those uh, watch-alongs that we have throughout the day and night, wherever you are in the world, wherever you're tuning in from, because we'll have these four quarterfinals that are coming up on day 10, but we'll also have the following four uh, on the next day and so on and so forth. You get the idea. Uh, so Koko Goff, Marta Kostyuk will be up first, which I think is about 1.30 a.m. GMT, and you can all work it out from there. And then following that will be Djokovic Fritz in the daytime. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, just uh, no excitement there from Damien, and I, I can understand that uh, lack Tomorrow of might be a very uh, boring day of tennis. Like, there is a high chance that it happens. However, of course, there's also a lot of doubles coming up. For example, the phenomenal Mahaj Drunk pairing taking on Bechar Pavlasek. There's the mixed doubles quarterfinals tomorrow, I believe. 
as well. There's a lot of junior action too. Um, I think it's the la remaining part of the second round in the juniors tomorrow in singles. Is so, the Sigmund-Stiniakova um, clash happening tomorrow? Uh, that's going to be on Wednesday. Oh, okay, it's the next day. But anyway, it's definitely happening. Okay, that's good to know for some. Yeah. Uh, Krejcikova-Stiniakova is like maybe the, the better way to describe it, but yeah. It will be a Zygmunt Shinyakova as well. Yeah, sure. Gene, really? Are you asking that? I, I, Gene's only asking that because, of course, when you're a fan of one particular player, and I, and I know how it is as well, uh, you're, yeah, exactly. He's a bit scared, of course. I, I get it. I get it. You're When you're so invested in a... When you're invested in Federer like you used to be, and, and for the rest of the world, we're going, yeah, he's easily going to win this match. You were like, well... Yeah. yeah exactly. Of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Taylor, I think he has a shot on if he comes out of like this really uh, great uh, swing freely attitude, just like he played against Tsitsipas, but it's way tougher against Novak. Also needs to like serve out of his mind. I don't see the issue with that one. I really don't. I think Rublev and Sinner is similarly uh, going to be similarly uncompetitive. Fritz Hatch, listen, this is not, I don't find the match interesting either. I won't find it interesting unless Fritz goes up uh, two sets to love and a double break in the third. But yeah. um, but he he was so bad in the quarterfinal at the US Open last year um, that... Um, that so was like, also... like I have PTSD after the final, you have PTSD after the quarters and you can't now. I have both. I have both because the oh, final wasn't... wasn't um, yeah. But um, but Fritz was so bad and that that's that tells you that he had chances in rallies where he's up in the rally and then would just blow that you know you to be that bad you you have to be in it's not like it's not like so for example Djokovic semi-final and final in in Turin I'm not using those words to descri describe Alcaraz or Sinner's, Sinner's performances in in those two matches Djokovic was just insane Djokovic was below average in that quarterfinal Djokovic was that day was beatable but I have three. I have my issue with this because he didn't need to do anything like he he would have stepped up if it was the if yeah. it was necessary like against Fritz you, you cannot beat Djokovic by playing like one-dimensional linear power at him like it's yeah. just impossible it's impossible and Fritz does this eight times does this eight times in a row probably even gets the wrong signal when he plays him at the Australian Open and of course he wins two sets when Djokovic has that abdominal tear and mm -hmm. The moment we see him sort of trying something else, I will be okay with it. However, it's also not in his arsenal. Like, this is what he is, you know? A pretty one-dimensional, very good ball striker, not too great on the athleticism. And, uh, yeah, I just don't see how that sort of game troubles Djokovic. I think it's been years since Djokovic lost to a player like this. Indeed. All right. Uh, one hour, dead on the hour, pretty much. So uh, let's uh, call it a day or a night, depending on where you're tuning in from. Uh, thanks for stopping by today, Damien, and everyone else as well. And, thanks for um, stopping by for like eight hours. <laughs> yeah, right. It's not just the last hour, but it's been two matches, I think, wasn't it? In the end, you did um, and eight hours regularly uh, in the last few or 10 days or so, four to eight hours. You could even go back further because I think we did quite a lot of matches in, in that Brisbane week. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a hectic few weeks, but it is coming down to this last sort of stretch now with all the quarterfinals set in stone. And, and I'm looking forward to some of them. To, the, the two women's ones, I, I, I think, could be interesting. And I think if Rublev does get up in the match... That's kind of what we need for that one to be interesting. I don't like. I, I wasn't far away from exaggerating with Fritz. Fritz could win the first two sets, and I'm not thinking much unless it goes to a third set tie break or something like that. Um, but mm. but but if if, if Rublev yeah, gets in, you are exaggerating a bit. I, it, listen, Fritz could win the first two sets, and I'll be like, oh, okay, I'm going to tune in. I'm going to tune into the yeah, first set. But you were tuned in already, you know? You were tuned in. Yeah, I'm tuned in. Um, I'm, but I'm not tuned okay. in with any great expectation. But mm -hmm. I, I would tune mm -hmm. in and be ex thinking, okay, this is interesting. If Rublev got up in the scoreboard, uh, like say he's up a break in the first set, he wins the first set. Yeah, then I'm then I'm thinking, okay, yeah. this, is, this could be interesting. He wins the first set and maybe we have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shrihui, hi. I don't think that's the Shrihui. Um, I think it's a different one, but I could be wrong. Uh, oh, no, actually, the, no, the I think it, there. it is this Srihari. It's his oh, okay. Yeah. 
He's just changed his picture. Um, great to see you too, or, or to hear from you in the live chat. And uh, please do hit the like button and all that other stuff. All right. Um, don't worry, Gene. Just chill. And uh, it is indeed uh, Shrihui. Uh, probably Shrihui and Gene, as, as fellow Novak fans, can go off and start panicking about Taylor Fritz. Or maybe one can comfort the other. That might uh, might help. Um, anyway, cool. All right. Uh, thanks, Tennis World, for stopping by. And you know the drill. Oh, the drill for me, by the way, is sleep. Anyway, the rest of the drill is this. If you enjoyed this video, make sure you hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe and click that notification bell so you don't miss out on all things tennis. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.